second journey part two of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain second journey part two the people of gournou are superior to any other arabs in cunning and deceit and the most independent of any in egypt they boast of being the last that the french have been able to subdue and when subdued they compelled them to pay the men whatever was asked for their labour a fact which is corroborated by berendinon himself they never would submit to any one either the mamelukes or the bashaw they have undergone the most severe punishments and been hunted like wild beasts by every successive government of egypt their situations and hiding-places were almost impregnable gourno is a tract of rocks about two miles in length at the foot of the libyan mountains on the west of thebes and was the burial-place of the great city of a hundred gates every part of these rocks is cut out by art in the form of large and small chambers each of which has its separate entrance and though they are very close to each other it is seldom that there is any interior communication from one to another i can only say it is impossible to give any description sufficient to convey the smallest idea of those subterranean abodes and their inhabitants there are no sepulchres in any part of the world like them there are no excavations or mines that can be compared to these truly astonishing places and no exact description can be given of their interior owing to the difficulty of visiting these recesses the inconveniency of entering into them is such that it is not every one who can support the exertion a traveller is generally satisfied when he has seen the large hall the gallery the staircase and as far as he can conveniently go besides he is taken up with the strange works he observes cut in various places and painted on each side of the walls so that when he comes to a narrow and difficult passage or to have to descend to the bottom of a well or cavity he declines taking such trouble naturally supposing that he cannot see in these abysses anything so magnificent as what he sees above and consequently deeming it useless to proceed any further of some of these tombs many persons could not withstand the suffocating air which often causes fainting a vast quantity of dust rises so fine that it enters into the throat and nostrils and chokes the nose and mouth to such a degree that it requires great power of lungs to resist it and the strong effluvia of the mummies this is not all the entry or passage where the bodies are is roughly cut in the rocks and the falling of the sand from the upper part or ceiling of the passage causes it to be nearly filled up in some places there is not more than a vacancy of a foot left which you must contrive to pass through in a creeping posture like a snail on pointed and keen stones that cut like glass after getting through these passages some of them two or three hundred yards long you generally find a more commodious place perhaps high enough to sit but what a place of rest surrounded by bodies by heaps of mummies in all directions which previous to my being accustomed to the sight impressed me with horror the blackness of the wall the faint light given by the candles or torches for want of air the different objects that surrounded me seeming to converse with each other and the arabs with the candles or torches in their hands naked and covered with dust 
themselves resembling living mummies absolutely formed a scene that cannot be described in such a situation i found myself several times and often returned exhausted and fainting till at last i became inured to it and indifferent to what i suffered except from the dust which never failed to choke my throat and nose and though fortunately i am destitute of the sense of smelling i could taste that the mummies were rather unpleasant to swallow after the exertion of entering into such a place through a passage of fifty a hundred three hundred or perhaps six hundred yards nearly overcome i sought a resting-place found one and contrived to sit but when my weight bore on the body of an egyptian it crushed like a bandbox i naturally had recourse to my hands to sustain my weight but they found no better support so that i sunk altogether among the broken mummies with a crash of bones rags and wooden cases which raised such a dust as kept me motionless for a quarter of an hour waiting till it subsided again i could not remove from the place however without increasing it and every step i took i crushed a mummy in some part or other once i was conducted from such a place to another resembling it through a passage of about twenty feet in length and no wider than that a body could be forced through it was choked with mummies and i could not pass without putting my face in contact with that of some decayed egyptian but as the passage inclined downwards my own weight helped me on however i could not avoid being covered with bones legs arms and heads rolling from above thus i proceeded from one cave to another all full of mummies piled up in various ways some standing some lying and some on their heads the purpose of my researches was to rob the egyptians of their papyri of which i found a few hidden in their breasts under their arms in the space above the knees or on the legs and covered by the numerous folds of cloth that enveloped the mummy the people of gournou who make a trade of antiquities of this sort are very jealous of strangers and keep them as secret as possible deceiving travellers by pretending that they have arrived at the end of the pits when they are scarcely at the entrance i could never prevail on them to conduct me into these places till this my second voyage when i succeeded in obtaining admission into any cave where mummies were to be seen my permanent residence in thebes was the cause of my success the arab saw that i paid particular attention to the situation of the entrance into the tombs and that they could not avoid being seen by me when they were at work digging in search of a new tomb though they were very cautious when any stranger is in gournou not to let it be known where they go to open the earth and as travellers generally remain in that place a few days only they used to leave off digging during that time if any traveller be curious enough to ask to examine the interior of a tomb they are ready to show him one immediately and conduct him to some of the old tombs where he sees nothing but the grottoes in which mummies formerly had been deposited or where there are but few and these already plundered so that he can form but a poor idea of the real tombs where the remains were originally placed the people of gournou live in the entrance of such caves as has already been opened and by making partitions with earthen walls they form habitations for themselves as well as for their cows camels buffalo sheep goats dogs and so forth 
i do not know whether it is because there are so few in number that the government takes so little notice of what they do but it is certain that they are the most unruly people in egypt at various times many of them have been destroyed so that they are reduced from three thousand the number they formerly reckoned to three hundred which form the population of the present day they have no mosque nor do they care for one for though they have at their disposal a great quantity of all sorts of bricks which abound in every part of gournou from the surrounding tombs they have never built a single house they are forced to cultivate a small tract of land extending from the rocks to the nile about a mile in breadth and two and a half in length and even this is in part neglected for if left to their own will they would never take a spade in their hands except when they go to dig for mummies which they find to be a more profitable employment than agriculture this is the fault of travellers who are so pleased the moment they are presented with any piece of antiquity that without thinking of the injury resulting from the example to their successors they give a great deal more than the people really expect hence it has arisen that they now set such an enormous price on antiquities and in particular on papyri some of them have accumulated a considerable sum of money and are become so indifferent that they remain idle unless whatever price they demand be given them and it is to be observed that it is a fixed point in their minds that the franks would not be so liberal unless the articles were worth ten times as much as they paid for them the fellas of gournou who dig for antiquities are sometimes divided into parties and have their chiefs over each so that what is found by any of the party is sold and the money divided among them all they are apparently very true to each other and particularly in cheating strangers but when they can find a good opportunity they do not scruple to cheat each other also one day when i had to purchase some antiquities according to appointment and was going to the tomb of one of these companies my guide told me by the way that he had some papyri to sell which he had himself found previous to his entering into partnership with his associates and it was agreed that i was to repair to his house alone to see them however i took mr beechey with me and we had great difficulty to prevent those by whom we were observed from following us as it is the common custom among these people to enter each other's homes as they please and see and hear all that passes in spite of all his caution they suspected that the old man had a considerable hoard of papyri and were persuaded that he wished them not to know the large sum he was to receive for them accordingly they did not fail to watch our coming out so that they might see what we purchased and when they saw we had nothing they were all surprised and disappointed one of the chiefs who was a favourite with the english approached the interpreter to know what had passed and when he heard that nothing had passed but words he said the old man dared not sell any papyri without the consent of the company and that all they had to sell and all he had must be brought to us conjointly they had no idea how this veteran had deceived them for other articles of consequence are so very seldom found that they did not suspect his having anything but papyri to dispose of age and experience however had naturally rendered him a greater adept in the art of deceit when mr beechey myself and the interpreter entered his cave his wife walked out to watch if any one approached 
the donkey men who brought us were at some distance from the cave and not a single being was near us his dwelling was a grotto cut in the rock like the rest and black as any chimney he made us sit down on a straw mat which is a luxurious thing in gournou and after a little ceremony put into my hands a brazen vessel one of the finest and most perfect pieces of egyptian antiquity i have ever seen of the kind it was covered with hieroglyphic engravings very finely executed it was about eighteen inches high and ten in diameter the composition is extremely fine and it sounds not unlike the corinthian brass i was most agreeably surprised and could scarcely believe that i had such a treasure in my hands i conceive it to be a sacred vessel used by the egyptians it has a handle something like our common baskets we were examining it with astonishment when the old man took it from our hands and presented us with another exactly similar to it the sight of a pair of antiquities like these their admirable preservation and the opportunity we had of purchasing them delighted us so much that the bargain with the old man was made in a few words the great difficulty was to take them to our boat which the old man promised to do in the night after all were asleep we returned to luxor in high glee from the expectation of having in our possession two of the finest articles of metallic composition that ever were to be found in egypt at night the old man did not come which made me uneasy but he came in the morning and said that he could not bring the vases with him as his companions were watching but that he would not fail to bring them at night meanwhile he should be glad he added to receive the money and the present we had promised and we paid him without hesitation that he might not retract his bargain at night however no old man nor the next day did he make his appearance i thought it necessary therefore to go to his habitation i found him at home and he said as before he would not fail to come to us at night night however again arrived without him but early the next morning he brought the vessels to our boat some time after one of his companions inquired of me what the old man had received for his antiques we wondered how he came to know anything of the matter when he informed us the vessels belonged to the company and the pretence of secrecy was the scheme of the old man to extract from us the present of a turbouse in which he had succeeded after having described the tombs the mummies the rocks and the rogues of gournou it is time to cross the nile and return to karnak here we continued the work as i mentioned before our opponents had taken away the four sphinxes which the doctor had dug up in the name of the defferdi bay from the ground i had opened the year before but had found nothing more which is somewhat singular considering the number of men they had employed in their excavation i now opened another piece of ground in a line parallel with the point of the temple and i was fortunate enough to find another line of sphinxes from the fragments there were probably twenty but five only were in good preservation among them was a sitting figure of a young man nearly of the size of life of grey granite but though the face hands and arms were in good condition the chest and lower parts were quite decayed and the bust detached from the rest of the body in the same place i found two small sitting figures of red granite nearly two feet high and a stone irregularly shaped but flat and smooth on the surfaces 
it is divided by lines into many little squares of half an inch in each of which is a hieroglyphic but all different from each other this piece in my opinion might be of much service to dr young in his undertaking of the discovery of the alphabet of the egyptians particularly in the advanced state at which he has at present arrived two other articles were found in this excavation of which one is a tombstone and the other an iron sickle that i think worthy the attention of the antiquary it is certain that the burial places of the egyptians were on the west side of the nile for not a single place is to be found on the eastern side to indicate there having ever been a burial ground there yet among these sphinxes was a tombstone similar to those which are found in the tombs on the other side of the nile and probably therefore made to be taken to the tomb of some family on the west but the iron sickle to which i would call the attention was found under the feet of one of the sphinxes on its removal i was present one of the men took it up and gave it to me it was broken into three pieces and so decayed that the rust had eaten even to the centre it was rather thicker than the sickles of the present time but exactly of the common shape and size of ours it is now in the possession of mr salt the question is at what time were these statues placed there they could not have been deposited subsequently to the age of the ptolemies for it appears that since the time of cambyse who destroyed the gods of egypt the country has never been invaded so as to compel the people to conceal their idols and it is evident that these statues had been hidden in a hurry from the irregular and confused manner in which they lie now as the sickle was found under the statue above mentioned i think it a sufficient proof that there was iron in the country long before the invasion of the persians since the egyptians had enough to make instruments of agriculture with it sickles of the same form are to be seen in many agricultural representations in the tombs but it does not follow that they were taken from sickles of iron like the one in question i do not mean to decide this point by my own suppositions i lay the fact before the reader that he may form his own opinion upon it yet there are circumstances that would destroy the conjecture that might be drawn from this discovery it is very singular if the egyptians had iron in such abundance as to make sickles that they did not make instruments of war and other articles for their common use of the same metal but if they had done so it is strange that none are to be found among the various specimens of their manufacture i continued the work as fast as i could with the few men i had as i foresaw that when the defendar came to the knowledge of my success he would put a stop to our proceedings by some intrigue or other my daily employment kept me in continued motion in the morning i used to give my directions for the works at karnak the arabs generally come to work at the rising of the sun and leave off from noon till two or three o'clock when i had many employed i divided them into parties and set an overseer over each to see that they worked at the proper hours and on the allotted spots of ground which i had previously marked out but generally some of our people were obliged to be there for no trust is to be reposed in the arabs if they should find any small pieces of antiquity before noon i used to cross the river and inspect the works at gournou having been there the year before and had dealings with these people i was at home in every part of thebes knew every arab there and they knew me as well 
mr beechey had taken possession of the temple at luxor without requesting permission from the gods and we made a dwelling-place of one of the chambers i believe it must have been the secos by the help of some mats we procured a very tolerable accommodation but could not prevent the dust from coming on our beds and clothes to which for my part i had long before become indifferent we could not sleep any longer in the boat for in consequence of the provision we had on board such quantities of large rats accompanied us all the way to luxor that we had no peace day or night and at last they succeeded in fairly dislodging us we thought to have been a match for them however for we caused all the provision to be taken out and the boat to be sunk at luxor but as they were good swimmers they saved their lives and hid themselves in the holes of the pier and when the provision had been put on board again they all returned cheerfully a few accepted and were no doubt grateful to us for having given them a fresh appetite and a good bathing in gournou our researches continued among the mummies the arabs had become quite unconcerned about the secret of the tombs for they saw it was their interest to search as they were rewarded for what they found and those who were duly paid were indifferent whether we or their brethren found a tomb the men were divided into two classes the most knowing were making researches on their own account employing eight or ten to assist them they indicated the ground where they hoped to find a tomb and sometimes were fortunate enough to hit on the entrance of a mummy pit in the first attempt at other times after spending two or three days they often found only a pit filled with mummies of the inferior class which had nothing among them worthy of notice so that even to the most skilful explorer it was a mere chance what he should find on the other hand in some of the tombs of the better class they found very good specimens of antiquity of all sorts i met with some difficulty at first in persuading these people to work in search of tombs and receive a regular daily payment for they conceived it to be against their interest supposing i might obtain the antiquities at too cheap a rate but when they saw that sometimes they received their pay regularly and i had nothing for it they found it was rather in their favour to secure twenty paras three pence a day than run the risk of having nothing for their labour which often happened to those who worked at adventure it was from these works that i became better acquainted with the manner in which the egyptians regulated their burial-places and i plainly saw the various degrees and customs of the diverse classes from the peasant to the king the egyptians had three different methods of embalming their dead bodies which herodotus informs us were according to the expense the person who presented the dead bodies to the mummy-makers chose to incur this father of history thus expresses himself on the subject certain persons were appointed by the laws to the exercise of the profession when a dead body was brought to them they exhibited to the friends of the deceased different models highly finished in wood the most perfect of these they said resembles one whom i do not think it religious to name on such an occasion the second was of less price and inferior in point of execution the other was still more mean they then inquired after what model the deceased should be represented when the price was determined the relations retired and the embalmers proceeded to their work 
in the most perfect specimens of their art they extracted the brain through the nostrils partly with a piece of crooked iron and partly by the infusion of drugs they then with an ethiopian stone made an incision in the side through which they drew out the intestines these they cleansed thoroughly washing them with palm wine and afterward covering them with pounded aromatics they then filled the body with powder of pure myrrh cassia and other spices without frankincense having sewn up the body it was covered with nitre for the space of seventy days which time they were not allowed to exceed at the end of this period being first washed it was closely wrapped in bandages of cotton dipped in a gum which the egyptians used as a glue it was then returned to the relations who enclosed the body in a case of wood made to resemble a human figure and placed it against the wall in the repository of their dead this was the most costly mode of embalming for those who wished to be at less expense the following method was adopted they neither drew out the intestines nor made any incision in the dead body but injected a liniment made from the cedar after taking proper means to secure the injected oil within the body it was covered with nitre for the time above specified on the last day they withdrew the liquid before introduced which brought with it all the intestines the nitre dried up and hardened the flesh so that the corpse appeared little but skin and bone in this state the body was returned and no further care taken concerning it there was a third mode of embalming appropriated to the poor a particular kind of lotion was made to pass through the body which was afterward merely left in nitre for the above space of seventy days and then returned such is the account given us by herodotus nothing can more plainly distinguish the various classes of people than the manner of their preservation but there are many other remarks that may be made to the same effect i shall describe how i have found the mummies of the principal class untouched and hence we may judge how they were prepared and deposited in their respective places i am sorry that i am obliged to contradict my old guide herodotus for in this point and many others he was not well informed by the egyptians in the first place speaking of the mummies in their cases he mentions them as erect but it is somewhat singular that in so many pits as i have opened i never saw a single mummy standing on the contrary i found them lying regularly in horizontal rows and some were sunk into a cement which must have been nearly fluid when the cases were placed in it the lower classes were not buried in cases they were dried up as it appears after the regular preparation of the seventy days the mummies of this sort were in the proportion of about ten to one of the better class as near as i could calculate by the quantity i have seen of both and it appeared to me that after the operation of the nitre adopted by the mummy-makers these bodies may have been dried in the sun indeed for my own part i am persuaded it was so as there is not the smallest quantity of gum or anything else to be found on them the linen in which they are folded is of a coarser sort and less in quantity they have no ornaments about them of any consequence and they are piled up in layers so as to crowd several caves excavated for the purpose in a rude manner in general these tombs are to be found in the lower grounds at the foot of the mountains of gournou and some extend as far as the border to which the inundation reaches 
they are to be entered by a small aperture arched over or by a shaft four or five feet square at the bottom of which are entrances into various chambers all choked up with mummies and though there is scarcely anything to be found on them many of these tombs have been rummaged and left in the most confused state i must not omit that among these tombs we saw some which contained the mummies of animals intermixed with human bodies there were bulls cows sheep monkeys foxes bats crocodiles fishes and birds in them idols often occur and one tomb was filled with nothing but cats carefully folded in red and white linen the head covered by a mask representing the cat and made of the same linen i have opened all these sorts of animals of the bull the calf and the sheep there is no part but the head which is covered with linen and the horns projecting out of the cloth the rest of the body being represented by two pieces of wood eighteen inches wide and three feet long in an horizontal direction at the end of which was another placed perpendicularly two feet high to form the breast of the animal the calves and sheep are of the same structure and large in proportion to the bulls the monkey is in its full form in a sitting posture the fox is squeezed up by the bandages but in some measure the shape of the head is kept perfect the crocodile is left in its own shape and after being well bound round with linen the eyes and mouth are painted on this covering the birds are squeezed together and lose their shape except the ibis which is found like a fowl ready to be cooked and bound round with linen like all the rest it is somewhat singular that such animals are not to be met with in the tombs of the higher sort of people while few or no papyri are to be found among the lower order and if any occur they are only small pieces stuck upon the breast with a little gum or asphaltum being probably all the poor individual could afford to himself in these of the better classes other objects are found i think they ought to be divided into several classes as i cannot confine myself to three i do not mean to impute error to herodotus when he speaks of the three modes of embalming but i will venture to assert that the high middling and poorer classes all admit of farther distinctions in the same pit where i found mummies in cases i found others without and in these papyri are most likely to be met with i remarked that the mummies in the cases have no papyri at least i never observed any on the contrary in those without cases they are often obtained it appears to me that such people as could afford it would have a case to be buried in on which the history of their lives was painted and those who could not afford a case were contented to have their lives written on papyri rolled up and placed above their knees even in the appearance of the cases there is a great difference some are exceedingly plain others more ornamented and some very richly adorned with figures well painted the cases are generally made of egyptian sycamore apparently this was the most plentiful wood in the country as it is usually employed for the different utensils all the cases have a human face male or female some of the large cases contain others within them either of wood or of plaster painted the inner cases are sometimes fitted to the body of the mummy others are only covers to the body in form of a man or woman easily distinguishable by the beard and the breast like that on the outside 
some of the mummies have garlands of flowers and leaves of the acacia or sunt tree over their heads and breasts this tree is often seen on the banks of the nile above thebes and particularly in nubia the flower when fresh is yellow and of a very hard substance appearing as if artificial the leaves also are very strong and though dried and turned brown they still retain their firmness in the inside of these mummies are found lumps of asphaltum sometimes so large as to weigh two pounds the entrails of these mummies are often found bound up in linen and asphaltum what does not incorporate with the fleshy part remains of the natural color of the pitch but that which does incorporate becomes brown and evidently mixed with the grease of the body forming a mass which on pressure crumbles into dust the wooden case is first covered with a layer or two of cement not unlike plaster of paris and on this are sometimes cast figures in basso relievo for which they make niches cut in stone the whole case is painted the ground generally yellow the figures and hieroglyphics blue green red and black the last is very seldom used the whole of the painting is covered with a varnish which preserves it very effectually some of the colors in my humble opinion were vegetable for they are evidently transparent besides i conceive it was easier for the egyptians to produce vegetable colors than mineral from the great difficulty of grinding the latter to such perfection end of second journey part two